insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Sean. I have to run really fast backwards. <laughs> to catch up with yourself? I have to catch up with myself and... And I want to keep moving forward, but I have to look behind to see what's uh, what might happen from things in the past that could bite me in the butt later. Yeah. And, uh, good, lessons, word, good lessons, usually. Good lessons. Is that hindsight 2020? <laughs> While running a 440? I don't know. what I'm, I'm probably making no sense, but people listen to us. They, they know I make no sense anyway. <laughs> it's not about us. It That's is not about us. It is no. not about us. But... Uh, I was trying to have a little fun because it, there's there's something pending in our digital world that uh, will, will have a big impact on society and business and, and our personal lives. And it, it's the, the wow factor of quantum computing and all that it can bring to do things that our, our human minds can't do on our own. Um, and with that, there, there's some risk. Uh, with cryptography that the, the cybersecurity industry has been talking about for a while. But uh, I don't know that we have a real good, until now perhaps, a real good way to, to understand what the impact uh, would be in a way that we can do something about it. And I'm thrilled today to, to have uh, Clementon from Sandbox AQ uh, join us to talk a, a bit about what quantum computing and AI and and those technologies together can kind of help us prepare for the future where quantum does exist and uh, we know the risks and we can kind of run backwards really fast <laughs> and get ahead of it. Um, so uh, before we get into the conversation though, uh, come on, I want to uh, give you a few moments to share a little bit about yourself for our audience so they know who you are and some of the things you've, you've done leading yourself uh, to this point uh, with Sandbox IQ. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, thanks uh, for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here with you today. Um, so I'm Clément Jean-Jean. I lead um, commercial business globally for uh, the cybersecurity division of Sandbox AQ, which is called the QSG uh, group. QSG stands for Quantum Security Group. I guess we'll talk a little bit about what Sandbox AQ does um, among you know, other things, cryptography uh, management, but also uh, we have uh, two other lines of, of businesses. And how I came here um, is, uh, well, it, it's been a, an entrepreneurial uh, journey. Uh, I have a, um, a scientific background. I'm an engineer at the beginning. And also, I also took a political sciences degree uh, after engineering. Um, and right after that, I started created, creating um, technology companies in different fields, nothing related to quantum at the beginning. One of uh, my most significant companies was a startup, tech startup in the perfume industry. So quite quite far away from um, quantum physics. 
and um, one of them was uh, CryptoSense. So I, I, I co-developed uh, this uh, cryptography management startup company based out of Europe that was acquired by Sandbox AQ eight months ago now. So this is how I joined the Sandbox uh, journey. I was the COO of CryptoSense, uh, mostly in part of um, in charge of business development. So that that's uh, how I'm here today with you guys. Well, that's interesting. I'm not gonna go in the in the in the first company, although I am kind of intrigued anyway. But uh, there is so much to talk about this convergence of putting together for me like quantum and AI. I think we can talk. We can write a book about it. Maybe three, seven books. So it's a big picture into the future. As John was Sean was making fun, like you know, we why are we doing it now when? Uh, I don't think we have functional and commercial, definitely quantum computing going on. So uh, what what is the perspective that uh, Sandbox uh, AQ is is having in this big picture? Yeah, that, that's correct. So we, we have a pretty uh, original positioning, uh, I would say, at Sandbox AQ. And, and AQ stands for AI and quantum because um, the mission of the company is to exploit the new possibilities that quantum physics and AI offer to solve very difficult problems. And I said quantum physics, it's not only quantum computers, it, it's really the, the, you know, the, the low level uh, physics, the particle physics um, combined with, with AI. And of course, quantum computing is, is part of um, the play. So we try to address three main industries and and to really change the game in in these three verticals we have one division called simulation and optimization that looks at how this new computational power coming from ai and quantum computers when when they arrive will be able to run uh, algorithms that um today we're not we're not able to run and how we can leverage this to reduce dramatically the time it takes to develop new drugs um, and maybe cure um, diseases that we're not able to cure uh, today. This industry is, requires a lot of investment. Developing a new drug, it costs between $1.5 and $2 billion. The failure rate is extremely high because you have to try a lot of things and, and, and just, you know, many of them fail. And developing a new drug is very long. It, we're talking about years and years. So we want to try and improve that. We're not sure that we're going to uh, be able to do it. But the first results we have only after one year are very promising. And we're partnering with very prominent um, universities in the US and um, research centers around that. And um, they are already very impressed with the first results that we were able to put um, uh, together with these algorithms. And, and that's even before quantum computing uh, is uh, generally available. So that's that's the first line of business, simulation optimization. The second one is uh, cybersecurity, so uh, where I sit, where we help large organizations prepare for the migration to quantum resistant cryptography. So as, as you said, quantum computers are going to create opportunities that we probably cannot imagine today, but they also create threats. One, one of the threats that they create is on the cryptography, or let's say part of the cryptography that we've been using for a few decades now, um, which is the, the, the RSA cryptography. So when these computers are going to be available, when we will have full tolerant quantum computers, 
they can use an, an algorithm called the Shores algorithm to break this, this cryptography. And this cryptography is, is used every day, everywhere. Everything digital uses this type of cryptography. So there, there's a need for a global upgrade, basically a global update. And regulators, standardization bodies like NIST have started looking at that years ago already. Um, and this is what the cybersecurity division um, is going after. We are helping big companies, big organizations prepare for that migration. And this is happening now. And I, I guess we'll talk about that um, in a minute. That's the second division after simulation optimization. And the third one is uh, called quantum sensing. And here we develop hardware where we use quantum physics to um, create new sensing capabilities with two main applications. One is in healthcare, where we develop um, cardiac magneto um, sensing uh, devices to improve the accuracy, to improve um, the speed at which you can run an analysis, you know, on someone who's going through some heart um, um, event, and when you need to determine whether it's severe, is it a heart attack? Does does the patient need surgery or not? Today, this, this can be very long because you need to prove several assumptions one after another. And we're trying to replace this with, with, with this um, magnetic uh, field sensing device uh, and um, deliver a diagnosis um, in something like one to two minutes. Um, a second type of sensors that we're developing is used for terrestrial navigation. Today, it, we mostly rely on GPS. Everyone is using GPS. Even the military are using uh, GPS. But GPS is very vulnerable because satellites are vulnerable because GPS can be scrambled uh, too. And today, if you go to Ukraine, there's no GPS anymore, anymore because it's completely jammed by, by the Russians. Um, moreover, GPS doesn't work uh, under the sea. So for submarines, for instance, it doesn't work. Um, and we've, we're, we're developing these uh, terrestrial navigation devices based on quantum physics, so quantum sensors, to back up GPS or replace GPS in places where you cannot use it. So these are the three business units, the, the three big problems that we're tackling uh, through simulation optimization, cybersecurity, and quantum sensing. And what... Um... Oh, I'm going to hold the vision. I'm going to hold the vision. I mean, let, let's let's stick with kind of the the current state, or perhaps a, a look into the past. Because I mean, as I mentioned as we started talking, that the, the understanding that cryptography uh, will have some challenges when when quantum uh, computing comes around. And uh, forgive me for not knowing the, the the complete difference between physics and computing, <laughs> um, but. We're, we're, we will face a situation where a good portion of our cryptography uh, no longer stands up to the rigors that we expect it to. And um, how, obviously the security industry is talking about it, but how are cyber criminals kind of using this understanding to their benefit? Because it's, let's face it, cyber criminals always leverage technology and leverage information and, and have a view of the future to how they're going to make money as well. Um, what, what's their view of this? So, um, there the, the are, uh, I think, several several questions in, in 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 this one. One is how can quantum computing be exploited someday, and what what threat it represents today. And the second question is is the timeline. I think so. Um, when when do we need to worry about that? 
Um, so, as, as I said, uh, it's well recognized that when these quantum computers are available, which is which is not a date that's identified, so we don't know when it's going to happen. Um, there's a, a global scientific consensus to say that this is happening. Some people say it's going to be in eight years. Some people say it's going to be in 15 years. Some people say it's going to be in 50. Some people, less and less, say it's it's never going to happen. But there's a general consensus to say we're looking at something probably between eight to 12, 12 years um, before we have these full tolerant uh, quantum computers. And that, that's based on the progress that have been made in recent years. So criminals, when these computers are available, they can break this RSA encryption. So they can access sensitive data. Um, this is not the case today, but what they can start doing is harvest information. So harvest data um, by eavesdropping, you know, uh, like submarine cables, for instance. So one threat that is well identified today and, and people call that the harvest now decrypt later threat is that these criminals or state actors could collect data, store it for many, many years. Um, and of course that means, you know, they will target sensitive data, meaningful data like state secrets, or data that have a very long um, lifespan, like like healthcare data or personal banking data, the details, for, for instance. So these criminals, they could harvest the data now, store it, keep them in the data center, and then use a quantum computers, computer in 8, 10, 15 years to decrypt that data and use the value that this data would still have. So not all the data, all, not all the sensitive data that we're dealing with today can be threatened by that because some of the data in 15 years won't have any value anymore. But again, for the very sensitive, for the long-lasting sensitive data, for the state secrets, for industrial IP, for instance, or um, geological exploration for oil and gas companies, these data have 30, 40, 50 years um, of lifespan. And these, these are at risk. This is the main threat that's um, identified today. Another one that is not coming directly from attackers, but which is a risk that more and more uh, corporations have identified is that going through the migration will take time. And when I say time, it's not a couple of years or three years. It's generally admitted that for a big bank, this case is something like 10 years. Because cryptography is everywhere in their IT. They have every possible IT system that have been, you know, ever conceived and designed and produced on Earth. So it's very um, heterogeneous, and it's a topic that they have never really, you know, uh, needed to address or to manage before because cryptography was just solid, was resistant. The keys were long enough. The algorithms are good today. Then they're not going to be broken next year, you know. But the fact that cryptography is everywhere and that we have completely digitalized our economy by uh, just spreading cryptography, you know, in, in, in all big IT organizations uh, and with having cryptography coming from many, many different sources inside an IT, it makes it very difficult just to know what cryptography you have, where cryptography is, where cryptography comes from. So that migration is going to take 10 years. So if you think back, and, and Sean, you like to walk, walk backwards, think back of the this, this this timeline story where we say quantum computers, full tolerant quantum computers might be available in eight, 10, 12 years. And actually when this happens, we might not know because the first organization, the first country 
you know that we have this this computer maybe we'll want to keep this as a secret because that's that's a huge ad advantage so when this um happens you need to be ready before that you cannot start the migration when someone says hey guys i have this computer because if if it needs tenure then you're you're 10 years late and all your uh, sensitive data is um is broken and accessible well, you know, I have this picture in my head of the movie Back to the Future, where the the characters start disappearing from a picture <laughs> in the past because they never happen in the future. So I have this uh, really weird uh, vision, but I, I think it, it's kind of helped me to get a, a picture of what we're talking about here. So talking about getting the picture, is there some kind of business some verticals that are seeing what you're presenting because they they embrace it because they can project themselves into this future and realize that their data i mean you throw some example there but maybe more more specific some other case scenarios some verticals that are really receptive to to this concept yeah so um the, the the federal space the public sector um is moving really fast uh, especially in the us but also in the entire um, uh, western world um because regulators governments have identified this um you know the the, the development of quantum, quantum computers as both a, a threat for the security of the data but also as an opportunity because they can solve these big complicated problems so when you deal with uh, let's say complex logistics issues like running an army you know or or or, or running scenario for a, a war game uh, probably the first one where there's a, a, a valid quantum computer running that's going to be a huge advantage so governments regulators they have started uh, creating a framework um, and in the us there's been a white house memorandum State agencies have to have to move forward. They have to start inventing the cryptography they're using, building a plan for migration. So this is happening already now. That's the public sector. In the commercial world, financial services are probably the heaviest users of cryptography, which is good for us because that that is what protects you know your access to your online banking application on your iPhone. Um, so they have a lot of cryptography. And they have a lot of, of sensitive data. And of course, they're you know managing your money and, and, and our money. So they're very sensitive to that. And um, the, the the journey has started there yet, uh, there too, sorry. So in the US, large banks, they are all moving forward and building a plan to migrate to post-quantum cryptography. Again, because they know it's going to take 10 years and that they have to start now. And also because they're, they're seeing short-term benefits in getting this capability of inventoring cryptography, getting visibility, maybe we can say a word about that. So financial services, uh, clearly um, healthcare industries are very interested in this. Um, they're not as mature uh, in the journey as the financial services. Um, telcos to secure their networks uh, because um, they're, they're operating these physical networks where um, they're using a lot of cryptography also to authenticate communications and authenticate users, um, which is going to be a, a vulnerable point uh, to quantum computers. So telcos are very interested in starting upgrading their network um, now, um, also because they know it's going to take uh, a few years. And then we're seeing 
a, a longer tail of other verticals where the maturity is starting, um, especially around uh, OT or IoT, like um, the automotive business, because a car today is, is you know a big OT with four wheels, and a car when you when you sell a car, it's going to be on the market or, or on the roads for maybe 15, 20 years. So that's part of these objects that you need to, to think now about how you're going to update them uh, in 10, 12, 15, 15 years. Um, oil and gas are interested in this uh, too. And some of those, these verticals, they're, they're also looking at the opportunities, you know, that they can get from quantum computing. Like, can they improve um, exploration for oil and gas or drilling, uh, you know, scenario? And for healthcare, of course, can they improve the way they discover uh, drugs? So this is this is the landscape basically um, today, as as we see that sandbox IQ. So I love that broad broad view of the different uh, sectors and and the things they have to think about. Um, one thing that's coming to mind. I mean, I'm I'm the ops guy. Generally, I, I, everything looks like a project to me <laughs> uh, with, with some timeline and, and some outcomes at the end. And what I'm trying to trying to figure out here is, as the telcos and the oil and gas and automotive industries recognize they need to do something now, and we'll touch on why now they have to do something in a moment. But I guess what I'm wondering is, because Sandbox AQ and, and the Cyber Security Division is about managing cryptography so my question immediately in my mind is do they manage cryptography now is it just a free-for-all what, what does that world look like and then what does it need to sh uh, shift and transition into uh, to really get ahead of this yeah so i think it's it's fair to um when you look at these organizations um it's fair to say that cryptography has been left behind in the in the entire digital transformation that we've seen in the last five to ten years, which is adopting agility and and what's called DevOps. You know, when when you merge basically development and operations, or you bring them uh, very close together, uh, so that you can deliver new features and new releases of your product uh, really fast. Cryptography has been left behind that because it was not really needed. You know, you didn't need to be agile with cryptography because again the keys were long enough the algorithms were good um, so one of the things we talk a lot about with our customers today is how we can bring cryptography to the agile era because the, the way they're they're managing their it is through more and more automations more and more um you know large databases data lakes um solutions like software solutions um, integrated uh, all together so that you can uh, deal with a, a massive amount of, of information data and make it actionable. Cryptography is not there yet. Uh, so customers, you know, they use a lot of cryptography keys. They use certificates. They have some platforms to issue keys, to issue certificates. But a lot of the keys that they have come from different places come from uh, open source components, come from dependencies, vendor um, uh, software. And that's the case for keys and, and certificates. So they, they don't really have the entire visibility um, on where these keys and certificates are coming from. Same with cryptographic operations. So every time a, one application encrypts data, decrypts data, signs an operation, every time someone authenticates, and by someone I mean 
it can be a human being or it can be one application talking to another application. So every time there's cryptography um, coming into play and that cryptography can come from many, many different places again in the organization. Today, they don't have that visibility and this is what we're building with them. We are providing them with a, an enterprise software that connects, integrates with the other ones and gives this visibility on what cryptography they have inside their IT today. And that's the first step. When you look at what NIST says, what Homeland Security recommends, what Gartner recommends in this migration towards modern cryptography management and quantum ready uh, cryptography in the end, the first step is to build an inventory, which makes total sense. And there's nothing you know, groundbreaking here because you cannot change, you cannot manage what you don't know. So today, most of these organizations are lacking this visibility, this comprehensive visibility on cryptography that they have. And that's the first uh, issue that we solve uh, with them, providing visibility and observability. So I want to go back to, because I kind of always think about people. <laughs> that's what I do. I think about how people are going to digest this. And so one of the thing is to to say, you know, why now? And, and I know you already talked a little bit about this, but also thinking like our other sector, like cybersecurity in general, like, you know, everybody now is talking artificial intelligence is going to resolve a lot of problem, also creating a lot of problem because the bad guys use it as well. So what I'm thinking, I like, is it, do you see this to be a big shake to not just cryptography on its own, which is part of the big picture of cybersecurity, but is like a lot of the cybersecurity now going to become obsolete un obsolete, un unless we do something right now? I don't know if it's a question that makes sense, but it's kind of in my head. No, it, it, it does make sense clearly. Um, so quantum computers, um, for what we know, are good at solving specific problems. So the, you, you cannot ask everything to, to a quantum computer. So as far as we know, you will not have a, a super GPT-4, you know, powered by a quantum computer that can break any, any, any security. Well, AI too is not general, right? <laughs> so you can't Absolutely. ask anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so this, this problem around cryptography is the one that has been identified clearly uh, because there's this, this algorithm that was discovered by AI called Peter Shaw in 1994 that, allow, that allows to um, basically factor very large prime numbers, which is the, the big problem that existing computers cannot solve. Even if you were able to take all the computational power available on Earth today, breaking one of these algorithms would take thousands, if, if not more, of years. And, and this is what we call secure. It's not unbreakable, but with the existing means, it's going to take so much time to break that, you know, uh, God knows where we'll be in 5,000 years. And of course, the data doesn't have any, any, any value. So um, what the quantum computers allow to do is break this, this existing cryptography in a matter of maybe hours or maybe days which of course makes them much more relevant. Other um, uh, dimensions of cybersecurity are not directly uh, threatened uh, by that, as, as far as we know today. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the ops because that's, that's where I like to live. <laughs> and the, the, the security suite, the sandbox AQ security suite, 
uh, is comprised of many elements uh, riding on top of an architecture. And what I'd like for you to do, if you can maybe paint a, a visual picture for us with words, how this fits into an organization. There's the discovery and inventory and, and management all the way through to remediation. How, maybe the first question is who in the organization kind of oversees this? Who, who are you speaking with to, to tackle this problem in the organization? And how does that fit into their, their processes and their teams and existing technologies? Yeah, so typically our customer is the CISO or, or the, the, the CISO uh, team, uh, so the chief information security officer in, in an organization. Um, as, as you said, our software is um, like many cybersecurity software, basically built on three modules. One is about discovery, so collecting information from the IT. Uh, second one is um, storing the, the, the data that we've uh, collected, uh, controlling the data, uh, looking, running analysis uh, on the data, issuing reports, uh, automating the creation of reports like policy enforcement reports or performance um, reports. And the third block, so after discovery and control, the third block is remediation. Um, the way it's deployed uh, today with our customers, it's mostly on-premise because the nature of the data that we collect, in most cases, is highly sensitive. You know, information about how a big bank encrypts data or manages keys um, is not information that they want to send in the cloud. So the software is deployed on-premise. And one of the key considerations or needs that our customers have beyond the core features that I've just described, so inventory and cryptography, analyzing it and remedi remediating, is around integrations. Because again, they don't want to deploy something that's going to be a standalone system with its own dashboard and that you know is going to require dedicated workloads. That that doesn't work today in a big big IT organization. Um, all of them are moving to DevOps. All of them are moving to um, automation. So we have to integrate our software with their existing IT management solutions. So typically, um, ServiceNow, for instance. Um, Typically Jira, you know, to manage uh, tickets or, or remediation or Splunk, Elastic, this kind of thing. That, that's for the IT management um, system. Even for the inventory part, so collecting information from their IT, they want us to integrate with the systems they already have. So when they have an endpoint manager, of course, we will integrate with the endpoint manager and we will leverage the existing uh, scanners uh, or sensors that they have deployed across their maybe 500,000 endpoints or 1 million endpoints. We will leverage these existing sensors to collect information about cryptography, either by just taking the data that's already available or by deploying an, an additional package on this sensor. We have integrations with um, a very uh, widely deployed solution uh, called Tanium, for instance, in the endpoint management um, sphere. So this ability to uh, integrate with existing uh, solutions is really key to our, uh, our customers. And um, maybe I, I can provide a little bit more detail about what type of information we collect, how we build this inventory, because an inventory is only as good as it is comprehensive. If you're missing half of the cryptography that you're supposed to monitor, 
then there's no point in having an inventory. So we combine different discovery tools and um, three dimensions, as we like to uh, describe it. We collect information from the network. So we look at how uh, information is encrypted when it travels uh, on the network with something that's called a network analyzer. Then we collect information from file systems or containers with a discovery tool that's called the file system analyzer. And this one parses files and looks for keys, certificates, cryptographic libraries. And it's trained to identify those cryptographic artifacts, those interesting artifacts. That's the second analyzer that we have. So network analyzer, file system analyzer. The third one is called an application analyzer. And this one looks at how cryptography is performed inside application at runtime. It doesn't mean in production. Runtime, in all cases, it's in pre-production or in development environments. But what's interesting here is that when you are able to observe how applications do cryptography, so how your data is encrypted, decrypted, how application authenticates um, between one another, this is where you have this very deep visibility about where cryptography comes from. Is it coming from a third-party component? Is it in your code? Is it a dependency? So by combining those three analyzer, network analyzer, file system analyzer, and application analyzer, that's what we call a three-dimensional inventory because you have a very flat and broad coverage across all file systems, if needed, and all your endpoints. And you have a very deep um, visibility inside um, where application comes from in your uh, workload. And that, that's very specific to the security suite uh, at Sandbox AQ. I love that. Uh, I, I can, granted, I, I saw some of the diagrams on your website, but I can totally picture <laughs> what, you, what you just described, which is fantastic. And I know Marco probably wants to go, but I'm going to ask another question in, as well. Just the, because uh, some of the things we talked about early on were, were the, the migration aspects of this. Um, and we, we talked about needing to start now, uh, if you're going to, if you're going to end up in the right place in time. Um, so what does that migration look like from Sandbox AQ's perspective? Where do, where do our organizations usually start? I'm going to guess inventory, <laughs> but kind of yeah. describe, describe the flow and, and how that kind of plays out. Yeah. So clearly the priority today is to start uh, with the inventory. So creating this, this capability, it's within large organizations, it's already a multi-year project. Um, but of course, it doesn't make a lot of sense to create the inventory if you do not strategize the remediation behind that because, you know, you have all these problems and, and how are you going to, uh, going to solve them? So um, we have this remediation uh, module that's available in uh, preview uh, for customers uh, today, not, not for uh, it's a general uh, availability or deployment. Um, and um, what we're looking at here is um, not automating the remediation entirely because our customers are not willing or not ready. Maybe someday they will be, but they're not ready to leave a software, decide how this cryptographic operation would be replaced by another, you know, using a, a different algorithm. So it's we, we rather talk about uh, semi-automated, uh, remediation or suggested remediation, um, because there has to be today um, a human in, uh, intervention, you know, before they change um, the way that they use uh, cryptography. We have several ways um, of doing that. We can um, 
for instance, uh, wrap an existing cryptography corporation with an, an additional layer of uh, cryptography with quantum resistant cryptography, for instance. Uh, we can also envision to redirect calls that an application makes to its cryptographic library. So since we see these operations with our application analyzer, we can um, just see the call happening and redirect it to a library that uh, would contain these uh, quantum resistant algorithms. These are uh, just two examples uh, among, among several ways that we have to remediate. But in terms of priority and timeline, our customers today are really focused on building the inventory and having this, this continuous monitoring. Because when we talk about inventory, it's not just a one-off thing that you want to do. Because of course, if you do the inventory, that's going to take quite some time. But the next month, you know, your cryptography has changed. You have new keys, new certificates, new new code that your developers have written. So you need to build this, this capability as a continuous monitoring and continuous inventory. Yeah, which continuous uh, integration and delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. That's where that's where it all boils down to, right? If you can't if you can't deliver stuff in an agile way, uh, because you're stuck trying to figure out cryptography, you're kind of kind of hosed. What do you think? Yeah, and, and yeah. Oh, so, sorry. so just to, to, to that point, because yeah. that, that that's that's straight to uh, the point uh, with our more mature uh, customers, where they deploy our solution directly in their CI/CD uh, toolchain. You know where they, they already have a series of tests like security, quality uh, on the code. And the sandbox test becomes just one of them. And we both built the inventory of cryptography before the code goes uh, in production and we control the content of the inventory. And this brings me back to uh, one thing I mentioned before, which are the short-term benefits of doing that now if you if you're able to monitor your cryptography and control your cryptography today you can solve issues that are much more painful now than the quantum threat and the migration itself things around compliance so more and more you know compliance standards include ways to encrypt data ways to manage keys it's very very difficult given the complexity given the the, the hybrid dimension of any IT system today. It's very difficult to demonstrate your compliance with these standards with Excel spreadsheets and manual uh, processes. It just doesn't work anymore. It doesn't scale. So every um, existing process relying on this needs also an upgrade for cryptography. And, and several of our customers, including big customers today, they started the project with us, not because of the quantum threat, but because they had a compliance issue or they had a policy enforcement issue. They have this security policy where there's an entire chapter about what cryptography they can use, what cryptography they cannot use. But then they rely on just manual reporting you know, from business owners, from teams um, to make sure that the policy is enforced. Again, that doesn't scale. And we have big projects with big banks where we're covering several thousands of applications where they suspect very strongly that some of the cryptography inside some of these applications does not enforce the latest standard of cryptography that they want to see inside their, their um, applications and their workloads. So we're helping them solve this today in the CICD toolchain. And then the quantum threat 
you know, becomes part of the project because they say, oh, okay, we're, we're deploying this cryptography management tool and we're going to kill several birds, you know, with the same stone. We're going to solve this compliance issue. We're going to have a better policy enforcement. We will have more visibility on certificates. So we will reduce the number of outages, you know, created by uh, certificate expiring. And we are also paving the way for the quantum migration. Well, well, you kind of went where I was going to go. So uh, the, the relationship with the public sector and also policy and regulation that, as we know, it drives many times cybersecurity. You do it because you have to do it. But also, I think there is definitely a, a role into the government in, in having a vision and a plan into this. You mentioned NIST, for example, which, you know, it, it's kind of like the standard. So what's your relationship with the with government and you see regulation actually coming along with, with your message and your mission and vision? Yeah, so um, governments in, let's say, um, all developed countries um, have started looking at, at quantum and specifically the threat on cryptography or are starting to look at that. Um, and we have ongoing conversations with uh, most most of them um, because we're, we're kind of, let's say, highly visible in, in that field. Naturally, Sandbox Secure being a U.S. company, there are a lot of um, uh, discussions with um, uh, federal agencies and the U.S. government. Uh, some contracts have even been made public um, at the beginning of this year. Uh, but also in the, let's say, U.S.-allied uh, uh, sphere, uh, we're having a lot of, of conversations, both with government, with uh, defense organization, with uh, state agencies and, and regulators. And and that's that's you know a very constructive process where we we talk about what the technology can do, what it cannot do, um, how how we've started you know these migration projects with our existing customers, because the regulators they don't want to create something you know in in like in a vacuum. So they look at how industrials who have started the journey are doing it, and that feeds the way they're thinking about the future um, regulation. We uh, have been selected by NIST. So the U.S. Uh, standardization body to be part of their cybersecurity center of excellence um, with, uh, I think, 15 other industrials, including Amazon, Samsung, very large companies, Microsoft, um, to work on what the migration framework should be. And so it's not about, you know, pushing our product and saying our solution is better than the other ones. We have competitors uh, there too, and we're very happy to be in that group with them. It's it's really to build the new framework together, you know, so to make sure that industrials will be able to migrate as smoothly as possible and in a meaningful meaningful way, and that we are solving the the, the problem at the end. Um, and that, that's something that uh, we're very involved uh, into the, this relationship with NIST. And I think uh, as we were talking about the, the the software delivery model and and life cycle, uh, and when we talk about policy, first thing that comes to mind is SBOM, the Software Bill of Materials, uh, another key piece, another important part of of uh, what government's looking at to help raise the security posture of of all software components. Um, yeah, so clearly no lack of. Uh, need and drive and perhaps maybe some triggers coming coming soon to uh to really enforce the the, the need here um i, I want to start wrapping and i know you have the, the security suite is out people can get a preview they can get a demo um i mean clearly 
start the migration now. That's that's the message I'm hearing to get that visibility, get the get the assessment and the analysis so that you can take take some remediation actions uh, within within your environment. Plug it into service now and Atlassian and and see where where you're sitting, right? So how how do people actually do that? Come on. So uh, the, the the discovery and the control center modules uh, can be deployed you know, at scale today. Uh, we're we're uh, deploying it in, in project with several hundreds of thousands of endpoints uh, covered in very large organizations. Um, the remediation part, as I said, is, is available in preview uh, today. A very simple way to do that is to get in touch with us, uh, start a discussion about um, what, what, what the problems are around cryptography. And it can be, I want to start this quantum migration now, or I want to understand you know, how to do it, where, where to start with, what do I need to prioritize? You know, um, and, and we help organizations uh, with these questions uh, as well. It can be something around, uh, okay, there's this quantum thing on the horizon that the board has identified, we need to address that. But we also have a key management problem, or we also have an, an issue with policy enforcement. So how can we build a project where we get these you know, short-term benefits, low-hanging fruits, business value you know, in, in one year, in two years? And at the same time, we will be ready for the quantum migration um, when, when needed, um, and you know, starting probably maybe in three years, something like that. Um, usually we start with, uh, again, a very uh, standard enterprise software, uh, sales motion, where we deploy a proof of value um, in usually in a lab environment where the customer can test our product, um, make sure that the features actually deliver the value that we say delivers, you know, so we work a lot with the customers to understand their use cases. That's really key in the process and what they expect in terms of business benefits. Um, once we've done that and we've proven the value, then we engage into a first deployment in production. And as with every deployment in production, it starts with a very limited parameter like a pilot, and then we scale um, with the ambition. Uh, all of our customers have the ambition to cover not 100% of their IT because that, that doesn't make sense, but something like 80%, which is almost everything, you know? Um, apart from the exceptions or, or the, the non-sensitive data uh, at all. Yeah. And when, when you do the proof of value, um, do you include some of the integrations as well to kind of show how it fits in? Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, one of the things we do. If, if the expected benefit is to make sure that um, the organization can create this additional control in their CICD2 chain, for instance, um, and clearly, we will focus the POV, the proof of value, on the integration with uh, their Jenkins pipeline, for instance, and make sure that uh, we can have this this loop back to the developers um, to fix uh, non-compliant cryptography or or uh, cryptography that uh, is a policy breach for the organization, and also uh, build the inventory that would be needed for uh, migration later on. I love it. Love it. Well, a lot to think about. I know. Let's well, see. For yeah, once, yeah. we think ahead. Really, That's right. like as human, yeah. we're not that good at doing that. <laughs> we have to run backwards with with looking uh, looking back toward the problem, because I think, um, yeah, if as with most things, cybersecurity, right? If you ask a question, if you get asked a question, and the answer is I don't know. You're in trouble. <laughs> so the first is having having a clear view of what what the situation is, so you can at least answer that and. 
and how you choose to address whatever you uncover there is, is up for the business to decide based on their own situation. But, um, and I don't know is, is not enough in my opinion. So, all right, well, come on. It's uh, an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you. Great to hear uh, this uh, Sandbox AQ story and uh, congratulations on on the delivery of the the security suite and and the new division and all that all that has to come all the goodness coming from the three divisions uh, sensing and, and simulation and cyber all together i'm excited to see where where things head for, for sandbox aq as a whole well thank, thanks a lot guys it's, it's been uh, my pleasure uh, to be with you uh today uh and um yeah i'll be happy to do that again anytime lovely if you want to know more or deep dive on one of these topics yeah, it's, it's a big conversation. I mean, my, my head is spinning into into much larger scenarios and how this is going to apply to everything really in our life, in our business and the way we we behave. Just kind of like an, another another digital revolution, maybe even bigger than, than what we've lived so far. And that's a lot already. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. um, just a reminder to to everyone that all the links and and to learn more and take action and and uh, get in touch with uh, Sandbox AQ will be into the page that we're dedicating to this conversation and hopefully again many more because there is a lot to talk about. So again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you for listening. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP mag 24.